I tell you, it is amazing, wonderful, terrific to be part of the church. Because every parent, when that little baby, well, I guess comes out, I, that, I should choose my terms better, um, emerges triumphantly into this world. All of a sudden, every parent goes, are you kidding me? <laughs> I, I, okay, I, 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 how do I do this? Where is the instruction manual? How does all this thing come? And we all need so much wisdom. We do. And what's so beautiful about being part of the church is that we get to partner with you parents. You know, you all received a handout in the bulletin. And literally, that's supposed to be something you can put on your fridge or put up somewhere. But can you imagine these kids in five years, in eight years, in ten years, as a hundred, 150, 200 different people are praying for them and encouraging them and walking with them on the journey. <laughs> it is amazing. And I'm so grateful that we get to do that with our young families and really with anyone who's here. But Crosspoint is a church that is growing in their love for the Lord and for others. If you're newer here, we celebrate the King every Sunday. We worship, we teach, and we pray. So we're going to start off our time in prayer right now. Our Father, we are so grateful to come before you. We recognize that this is a great honor, that we can come boldly into your presence, and we can talk to you as our dad even though you're king and creator and almighty God. We love you, Lord, and we are dependent on you in, in every area. We pray, dear Lord, that, that you would speak to us today as we open up your word today, that you would be honored, that your Holy Spirit would be so abundantly active, and that you would bring conviction and encouragement and strengthening to each one of us as we open up your word. Lord, we know that there are all kinds of churches all over in this area and in this state and in this country and literally all over the world. Some meet in large cathedrals. Some gather in small homes. But God, they gather to be able to worship and adore you and to hear from you. Lord, we think of a few local churches in our area we'd like to pray for today. We'd like to pray for Grace Point Church and for House of Prayer and for Life Bridge and for New Hope. And we ask you, dear God, that you would work mightily in their teachers, in their people, and that we would be salt and light together as we move forward. Thanks again, Father, for the privilege we all have. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you've been with us, we have been spending some time in a letter 
that the Apostle Paul was inspired to write. Paul was quite famous and accomplished before he met Jesus. In fact, he probably didn't think he needed Jesus as he was growing up. But one day, he met him. And Paul's life was just totally transformed. So grateful it was because we have benefited thousands of years later. Paul was quite elderly when he wrote this letter. The letter we're going to focus on today. He was near the end of his life and he literally was in prison. But he had a good relationship with the church at Ephesus. And he wanted to write them a letter. He spent the first half of his letter talking about God's grace. He was so overwhelmed and enamored all that God had done for him that whenever he had the opportunity, it just kind of spilled. It's kind of like if you have a full cup and somebody just bumps you a little bit. There's nowhere for that liquid to go but on the carpet, all right? And that's a little bit how Paul was with God's grace. He just loved God, loved all that God did for him. And so during those first three chapters, he, well, let me explain. Because he came to faith, because he saw Jesus and saw his need for a Savior, because he stepped out in faith, he knew that God literally dumped all kinds of amazing things on every child of his. Every person who's part of God's family, every person that came to a place in their life where they recognized that they couldn't do life without God and they'd be reconnected with God, they needed faith in Christ's death for them. But what's so very cool in these first three chapters, Paul just talks about, I have been showered with God's grace and mercy. I am just so very, very grateful. I am loved, and I am adopted, and I am redeemed, and I am forgiven. But not only did Paul know that, he was writing to a church, a church full of believers, a church that were following God and wanted to remind them because life gets hard sometimes. Hey, I just want you to know, not only did God do this for me, but he did it for you. And not only that, but you have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is so cool. God is living in you. God teaches you. God convicts you. God walks with you. (laughs) None of us deserve that. But that's part of that. And then he eased in and just said, you know what? We're not only receiving all of these amazing blessings, but we are united and part of the church. The church. You see, the church today doesn't always have a good reputation. But the way that Paul saw the church and the way God sees the church, it's a bride. It's an amazing community of people that, does, that do life together. And they work together and they encourage one another and they live their life as a journey together. 
He said that the church, it's citizens. It's members of a community where God dwells. It's a community literally telling of the endless treasures available to everybody who believes. That's one of the greatest privileges we have as members, as community, to let people know how amazing God is and the benefits of following God. Sometimes when I say that, though, and you may have even heard preachers say this, that, hey, if God's part of your life, you're going to be really rich. You're going to be really successful. You're going to be, and you know what? The truth is the Bible, when it talks about the amazing riches and treasures that each one of us get, it's not treasures of wealth or health or power. Now, God may give that to you, but what he's talking about is the unbelievable relationship of Jesus, is that we get to do life with Jesus. You heard as I prayed for every one of our families that they would walk with God, and they would depend upon God, and they would realize again how wonderful that rich relationship is with God. Because as we spend time with God, He opens our eyes, no matter how young or how old you are. This is God's grace, absolutely available to everyone. What? We're going to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. So if you're new to this, you brought your Bibles or you picked one up, uh, why don't you turn to Ephesians chapter 4, open up your flat screens to your app, and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Everything changes in chapter 4. Now again, it's a little hard to realize that this is a letter, but this is a letter, and Paul actually didn't put it in chapters, okay, or verses. That's for us. But the first half of the letter, he just, again, was so excited about his relationship with God and all that God had to offer. But in chapter 4, verse 1, everything changes. Let me put it in perspective, especially those who have been with us. There was one imperative or one command in the first three chapters. In the last three chapters, there are 40 imperatives, all right, commands encouraging each one of us to listen to God. You see, your faith in God and standing in God, literally, Paul says, means you live differently. It's like preparing a bicycle, putting together a bicycle. If, if you have never had the privilege of putting a bicycle together, I'm sorry. All right? Usually it's not too complicated, but the last thing you do, you pump the tires up. And you hope everything was put together so that when your little boy or little girl gets on it, it does not fall apart. All right? But this is what Paul's been doing for the first three chapters, is preparing the bike. Now he's saying, get on the bike and ride. He's been pumping the tires for the first three chapters, and now he says, it's time for me to cheer you on. Get on the bike and let's go. So let's read. If you don't have your Bibles, you can follow along on the screen up in front. But we're going to start reading Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Therefore, I, Paul says, 
a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Make an allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called the one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord and one faith and one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. Let's go back to the first two verses. Therefore, Paul says, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you, implore you to live and lead and walk a life that is worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Make an allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Paul starts right off with the first sentence. You have been called into God's family by God. We've already talked about this for three chapters. So what I want you to do, I want you to walk according to your calling. Don't walk like you're not part of royalty. Walking is a beautiful metaphor, in my opinion. It's how you do life. It's how you get up in the morning. But Paul says you are a child of God. You are part of God's family. So let's live like it. You have been graced. So let your countenance and attitude and perspective show it. Three chapters filled with spiritual blessings and your standing in Christ. Now act like you're a king's kid. Now look at the attention, if I can kind of go off and go down a different road here, or the headlines that the British royals have received. You know, especially the boys, William and Harry. All right? And don't tell me you've never seen anything about William or Harry, okay? But the truth is, everything has been documented in their life. From the time they were so very, very small, who they marry, who they date, what grades they get in math. I mean, you can find, I mean, everybody knows everything about them. And although we're not William or Harry, We are God's kids. And what Paul is just simply saying, when you are part of God's family, you're going to act different. You're going to look different. You are representing the king. And he jumps right in. And Paul tells the Ephesian church what walking like a kingdom kid looks like. Kingdom kids are humble are humble. You see, everything you and I have is a gift. Everything. There are times you think your athletic skill 
well, it's because you practice or it's because you, and you kind of look back at yourself. Maybe you do really well in school and you think it's, well, because of your great brains. Maybe you've made some great business choices and you're very wealthy. But the truth is we're going to learn that everything we have, no matter what it is, is a gift given to us by God. I love when David prays in 1 Chronicles 29, 14. It's at the very end of his life. It's right before the next king, Solomon, is going to take the throne. And in his prayer, David says this, everything we have has come from you, God. And we give you only what you gave us first. This is a humble king. Elizabeth Elliot, some of you have read her books and um, kind of a, a hero on the, on the missionary end of things. Uh, but she writes in a book called Passion and Purity. She says this, if we hold tightly to anything given to us, unwillingly to let it go when the time comes to let it go, or unwillingly to allow it to be used as the giver means it to be used, we stunt the growth of our soul. It is easy to make a mistake here. If God gave it to me, we say it's mine. I can do what I want with it. No, Elizabeth writes, the truth is, is that it's ours to thank him for and ours to offer it back to him, ours to let go of it. You see, God gives kids, as you saw on the platform. He gives us talent. He gives us time. He gives us treasures. And humility recognizes the giver, not the getter. Jesus himself he was God in the flesh and the perfect example of humility. In fact, if you would, just a few pages over in Philippians chapter 2, turn there with me if you would. In Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 3, this just blows your mind as we're talking about Jesus. Don't be selfish, Paul writes. He's writing another letter here. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interest, but take interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. And then verse 6, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. In spite of Jesus' rights, in, in spite of who he was, he gave it up. One of the greatest examples in the world, right before he dies, he's serving his disciples. He says, this is what humility looks like. 
It's about others, not about me. And it's about pointing people to Jesus, not about pointing people to us. You see, kingdom kids are also gentle. Outward actions of a humble heart. Tender, not harsh. As we read through the Gospels and especially focus on Jesus again, Jesus was so with children, with those who were caught in sin, and even his disciples. In Mark chapter 10, you can write that down and actually read it later, but this is an amazing text. Jesus is near the end of his life. It's just about to end, enter the last week of his life here on the planet. And so the disciples and the people, they all understood who Jesus was. And he was, well, seated. And the scriptures tell us is that in chapter 10 of Mark, I'll read you starting in verse 13. One day some parents brought their children to Jesus so we could touch them and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. You know, Jesus was a rabbi. Jesus was a teacher. There wasn't a special touch that he had, but he was literally blessing, encouraging these little ones. I got to believe talking about the kingdom, encouraging them to follow him, modeling even for the parents right there on how to handle children. But the disciples didn't get it. Disciples, for, oh, Jesus, you're way too important. You've got an agenda, and, and let's, let's get moving here. And Jesus was upset. And at the very end of this passage, he said, then he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on their heads, and blessed them. So important. Kingdom kids are patient. They're long-suffering. The opposite of rash. Patient and kindness seem to go together. And again, Jesus modeled this for us with his disciples. Can you imagine even near the last days of his life when the disciples still didn't get that he was the Messiah after spending three years or so with him? And even Thomas, so skeptical, at the very, very end when he said, you know what, I'm not really believing in this whole resurrection thing, but if I put my hands in Jesus' wounds, ha, I'll believe Really? Second Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Peter writes this about all of us. And remember our Lord's patience. He gives people time to be saved. You see, one of the things I think that happened in every one of us as we walk with God, we recognize God's really an authority. It's God's timing. I don't need to be in control because you, God, are in control. And lastly, kingdom kids are loving. What a definition here. Tolerant, enduring, bearing with one another, making allowances for each other's faults. Now let me remind you, we're not talking about sin here, although there's grace extended to those who offend you. It's in a different place. What, what 
Paul is trying to say is this, is that we all have quirks. We all have idiosyncrasies. We all have habits that drive other people crazy. But because of love, you're going to make allowances. You're going to let that go. Jesus, again, in his last conversation with his disciples, just said this. You saw me love people. You saw me love people all the way through my life. Now, I want you, you go love others like that. Wow. Then, after he points out how kingdom kids basically are to act, he talks about something really critical in verses 3 through 6. Ephesians 3, uh, excuse me, 4, starting at verse 3. Let me read it again. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body, one Spirit, just as you have been called the one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord and one faith and one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. What Paul is saying is being humble, gentle, patient, and loving leads to a unified church or leads to unity in the church. Can you imagine a group of people who live like this, humbly serving one another, being gentle to one another, being patient, not getting irritated with some of the idiosyncrasies? Oh, wouldn't you want to be in a place like that? Wouldn't you want a family like that? Wouldn't you want a church like that? Wouldn't you want a community like that? And that's literally what Paul is saying. He's saying if all these things have happened to you because you are a child of the king, we have the capacity and the capability of living like this and treating others differently. So that church isn't, well, a bunch of different factions. Or the community isn't all these, these little, well, places where, where people are divided. Not at all. There's team unity, and it's fundamental, and it's critical. But what Paul says is this, unity is not easy, because we're all really selfish people for the most part. Work hard to preserve it. Make every effort you can to walk in the Spirit so that you'll be unified. We are one church. We are one team. We are one family. We are one community. And it happens when we walk with God, we learn from Jesus, and we listen to Jesus. Now let me wrap up our section today. But Paul's message is really just the message of Jesus. It's the path of discipleship. It's the path of making disciples. The culture literally says, well, the focus is me. Jesus says the opposite. Follow me. Listen to me. Give up your lives to serve others. 
The focus is others. You will never have your tanks filled by focusing on you. Walk with me. Listen to me. Humbly. Patiently. And extend grace to others in life. You see, me fruit looks really different than you fruit. It just is. You know, today, we're focused on walking worthy. And as we look at our lives, you see, there's probably something that the Holy Spirit is talking to you about. Because the Holy Spirit always does. Maybe there's something you've done to another individual that you need to apologize for. Maybe you haven't been so patient. Maybe you haven't graced others well this week or maybe even this morning. But God says this, remember, you're my kid. And as you walk with me, you're going to begin to reflect me. You're going to be able to treat others, especially in a church, a church that's, well, really needy. You're going to be able to be salt and light. You're going to make an impact. You will be different. Walking worthy means focusing on unity. And one of the things not only leadership but a pastor does as part of a leadership team is fight for unity. If there are divisions, if there are people thinking differently, to bring them together, to encourage them, and to help them focus on the goal and the privileges that we have. What an amazing text for a dedication Sunday. Here we have committed ourselves to walk with these families, to pray with these families. But as we do, we have an opportunity to be able to reflect to these families what it looks like to have a group of people who are really flawed still humbly and patiently and lovingly treat each other differently. So the challenge today is to depend on God. Because we're not going to do it by ourselves. I, you can all walk out here and say, hey, I'm going to be more humble. Mm, I don't know if that works that way. I think realistically it's, let's listen to our Lord. Let him change us from the inside out. Let's make the impact that he has designed for each one of us. And you'll never regret listening. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement that you have given to each one of us. We thank you especially today, Father, for all of these young families. And we pray, Lord that we would live like you would want us to live. Because if we do, if we listen to you, 
and you change us. We move forward together. We're on mission together. We make the impact you want us to make. And we are unified. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name.